Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, dear listeners. In today's flashback episode, I get to talk with the incredibly talented Nora Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. How are you? Oh, Nora, I don't know. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. I don't know either. I don't know what's happening anymore. Don't you feel like it's difficult to articulate our emotions? Yes. Because everything feels a little raw right now? Yeah, it's hard. And I just feel like it's all very up and down. Yes. For everyone, even if they're, you know, lucky enough to not being evicted right now or, you know, it's, people are going through so much. So, Nora, my heart is racing right now because I'm talking with somebody that I really admire. So forgive me if I'm a little stumbly, but I cannot thank you enough for being here. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited and I get nervous too. You do? I get more nervous to talk than I do to sing. <laughs> I love that. I was reading the piece in the New York Times where you spoke about that and understanding that you're an intimate person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also why I got pretty nervous because I talked to a lot of stand-ups. And it's not easy navigation, but it's not the same as navigating a world with music that while I appreciate and love, I don't know anything about. But you don't need to, to enjoy it. Are you sure? No, you don't need to know anything about it to enjoy it, right? That's the good part. I like that philosophy, but I also want to know, as a curious person, like, I would love to be able to sing, and I would love to understand sort of the crafting of a song, which maybe our listeners mm. don't want to know how the sausage <laughs> is made, but maybe it's the same way, like an editing of a film or something. Anyway, please understand, Nora. I am coming to this interview completely unqualified. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't necessarily feel qualified all the time, but that's, I think, the magic of art, right? You know, sometimes you don't even know what's happening and it just happens. The stars sort of align. Yeah. Okay. I kind of wanted to ask you about your first love. <laughs> <laughs> Human or <laughs> object? <laughs> Both. Well... I grew up being very boy crazy. Me too. And I was in love with everyone. Probably because I grew up, you know, with a single mom. I didn't see my dad a ton. And maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But I was boy crazy from the start. And um, I really loved Keanu Reeves for a long time. I mean, he's handsome. <laughs> he's handsome, but he's also safe, kind of. <laughs> I don't know. I just loved him. But my, no, my real first love was in high school. My first boyfriend was a drummer. We went to a really cool performing arts high school. We played music together. And so we connected on a lot of levels. Now that you brought that up, do you think that you could unfairly stereotype a musician? Like if they play bass, drum, like could you define a personality roughly by the instrument that they play? I mean, you definitely can a little bit. 
Like, would you tell me to avoid the bassist? No, that's the solid foundation. And I've dated one <laughs> for a long time. I've dated two drummers, bassists. Anyway, I tried dating a non-musician once, but I just always have been with musicians for the most part. I would say like a lead guitar player or a trumpet player might be a little more wanting to be in the spotlight, say, or a singer, you know. But that's a total stereotype. It doesn't necessarily mean it's always true. You don't like to stereotype, Nora? I don't like to stereotype. (laughs) But, I mean, bass players aren't usually grabbing the mic from you, you know. Nora, truly, my heart is racing right now. I cannot thank you enough. Did you have coffee? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Can I ask you a series of life questions? Okay. All right. I'm ready. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Oh, gosh. I've thought about this a lot. I forgot the crucial part. Mm -hmm. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Oh, okay. That's easier. I've always loved Barcelona, but now I think I just want to live in the middle of nowhere on an ocean somewhere. So wait, I wanted to ask you why you love Barcelona, but then what's more intriguing is your shift into isolation. Because that is something that I can really relate to. Yeah. I mean, I love Barcelona, but I've also loved it for a very long time. I think the first time I went there on tour, it was probably 18 years ago. And I remember the last few times I've gone, it's so much more crowded. And all the stuff I used to go to, they were touristy things anyway, but there was a line to get in or I couldn't even get in because I didn't buy a ticket in advance. So, you know, the world is becoming more and more crowded. And right now, especially with everything that's going on, I think I just would rather be in the middle of nowhere. How do you think that quarantine, has it tapped into a comfort level? I don't want to define it for you. Hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I live in Brooklyn, New York. We have young kids, you know, they're four and six. And once quarantine started, we realized like, well, we never really went out and did anything the last few years anyway. We didn't enjoy all that New York has to offer because we were in a different phase of our life. And all the friends we used to go out and see music and go to bars with, they all have kids and none of us ever go out anymore. So I think we were kind of prepped for it a little bit, but um, it made me miss like my old life from 10 years ago. You mean just being in Brooklyn and not having kids? (laughs) (laughs) Just not having kids. It just made me miss the like, oh, wow, I wonder if I'll ever get to do that again. But also, I don't really want to go out either. I feel like I've been kind of a hermit for the last few years anyway. You know, I work and I play gigs when I have to, but when I'm home, I'm just home. Even my kids are kind of hermits. They don't like to go out even on the weekends before COVID. And now, you know, they're just like wearing their pajamas all day. Are your kids playing music? They try with us and it's really fun. Our son is six and a half and he finally listened enough to learn how to play a backbeat. And that was really exciting. So now he can kind of play a beat on the drums and we can play and that's pretty fun. Nora, I feel like your son might be kind of a shitty musician. (laughs) He's six and a half. He might be. He just learned a backbeat. (laughs) He just learned a backbeat. Well, that's the thing. People always ask if our kids are like musical. I'm like, I don't know. They don't listen enough to learn anything. They think they know it all, but they definitely don't know anything yet. Okay. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Not really a dessert person, but I feel like the only times as an adult that I've gotten into ice cream was when I was pregnant and it was always just chocolate vanilla and Neapolitan sometimes because that reminds me of my grandma when I was little. 
kind of boring, but that's what I like. It's not boring because I think ice cream is nostalgia. Yeah. My son says the same thing. He weirdly likes Neapolitan, and I have no idea where he got that from. <laughs> he must have known my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? I say fuck a lot, and I try really hard not to, but my kids have started picking up curse words, and I heard them the other day talking secretly. I was around the corner, and they didn't know I was listening, and they were trading curse words. And he's like, okay, now you say one. And then she would say shit, and then he would say damn it. And I was cracking. <laughs> so that's what it made me think of. And you were like, fucking shut up. I was like, fucking stop. Yeah, no. <laughs> But yeah, I really got to stop because they are picking it up. I'm so with you. <laughs> I just thought it was so cute. They were trading curse words. <laughs> but the problem is, is that when we tell them to not say it, like we empower them. It's like we're giving them little bullets for them to be like, bet you said that. Well, yeah. And also it doesn't help that when they say it, it's so funny that I start laughing and they think it's funny and that, <laughs> that it's okay. And I'm like, no, it's not okay. It's just too funny. My son, who's now eight, and he's a little bit over it. I think I told him when he was six that he could swear once a month. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. He had to, like, choose it wisely. Okay. Then he could own the word. Yeah. Okay. Did you have a favorite book, something that ignited a fire within you? I loved that book, She's Come Undone by Wally Lamp. I haven't thought about that book forever, but I loved it's it. It's a great book. I think I read it twice when I was a teenager, which I don't usually reread things. I loved that book. I did too. It felt so human. Yeah, she had it hard, but it also made me feel like, oh, wow. Don't you think that it was also interesting that it was written by a man? I did think that. It was a very believable, fleshed out female character, you know? I read that at like 17 or 18, but I think in my memory, it's like 1900 pages. Yeah, it's really long. I do remember that. It's like a brick. It was so good. And for our listeners that don't know, it is about a woman who is struggling with weight in a very, very human way. It's a very intimate book and it is great. But to me, knowing that it was written by a man made me believe that there were men that understood. Because at that age, you're getting looked at for the first time as you walk down the street, checked yeah. out, and you have no idea how to digest that. And it's intriguing and it makes you angry, all of those things. So for a man to understand a vulnerable perspective of a young woman. Vulnerable, um, that's the word. Yeah, she's very vulnerable. All right, I love that answer. Okay, what was your first boss like? Oh my God. <laughs> I worked in a French bakery in high school and um, everybody was really sweet. But the thing that actually comes to mind is my first gig, which I had when I was in high school and it may have been before the French bakery. I don't even know. I went to an arts high school, so people would always call looking for kids to come play their events, you know, for cheap. And this woman wanted a jazz trio and the school let us borrow equipment to go do these gigs. It was really cool. It was some auction event for something and she wanted us to play like old jazz standards so people would dance. So we did. And, you know, it was not only my first gig being paid, but it was my first time putting a band together I had to pay the band you know being a band leader and being like the boss of the gig but they kept doing an auction so we kept taking a break and then at the end she got really mad at me in the hallway and she was like you kept taking breaks nobody danced and I was like oh I felt so bad after that 
I wonder if that felt like early discouragement. Oh yeah. I mean, also I didn't know what I was doing in terms of music yet either, but um, it was more like, oh, I get to be a grown up and do this thing. And then feeling completely leveled, like the weight of responsibility of doing a job or something. And then failing. <laughs> yeah. You guys kept taking breaks. We kept taking breaks, man. You know, I was a really straight laced kid. I never did anything, never drank, never did drugs, but I felt like she probably thought I was just some like stoner kid. Like, I don't know. I just felt so like on top of things and then so confused. <laughs> so if you weren't like an impulsive kid in that way, like I was, were you impulsive with love? Did you fall into love or crushes? easily. Oh, yes. Constantly. You were romantic. Oh, so romantic. I mean, not in high school. In high school, I was really focused on music. I still had all the crushes. But in junior high, I had all the binders. I went through an old yearbook recently and I like marked next to every boy. I thought it was super cute. He's so fine. Like, you know, I was super into boys. Me too. <laughs> My mom hated it. Yeah. She was always like, you cannot be boy crazy. You'll never get anywhere in life. And I was like, no, I'm not mom. But of course I was. You were. You're figuring out your place in the world. You want to be liked. Totally. I'm 43 now, so maybe not so much, but I would fall in love with my girlfriends. The mm -hmm. pretty exciting ones that made the world feel larger. Yeah, that's normal. And then they would stab me in the back. <laughs> Those bitches. <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> oh <laughs> girls can be the worst. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was your living arrangement when you first lived on your own? It was the dorm room. Does that count? How was dorm experience? I lived in the dorm. I loved it. But I also went to the University of North Texas to study jazz piano. And so I was in like the artsy dorm with all the musicians and all the artsy kids. It was fun. I loved it. You moved to Texas when you were young. Mm -hmm. That must have been jarring. I loved growing up in Texas. It was a good place to grow up. Why? Because we lived near Dallas and maybe it was just my mom, but we also had the resources. My mom always took me to do stuff art museums, the opera, musicals. She took me to everything cool. She also has no lack of energy. She's not a sit stiller. So she had the energy to do all that. I love that. But why did you and your mom move to Texas? I'm not completely sure, but I think because my mom is from Oklahoma and she went to college in Dallas. And I think she was having a hard time in New York. Her dad was sick, so she wanted to be closer to him. All right, now we're going to get into some stickier questions. Are you going to make me cry? I always <laughs> make people cry. <laughs> <laughs> what talent or ability would you most like to have? Oh, that's a good question. What's your answer to that? Well, I wouldn't say this to you, but I would like to be able to sing. Okay, well, yeah. But I also would really love the ability to fluently speak another language. Oh, God, me too. That is a good answer. I feel like it would give me a better understanding of people. Yeah, I know what you mean. I would love to be able to just go into a room or a party or a bar and be able to like just talk to people. 
<laughs> maybe I'm just lonely right now because of the virus, but I've always been kind of awkward and I always overthink it. You know, when you're meeting strangers, it just feels weird. I guess I wish I could just be completely at ease. I know. But I mean, we all want that. I don't know if that's a talent or just blissful ignorance. As, especially when, if you're known, you know, to any degree for something, people are intrigued because they feel like so symbiotic with you with this. I overanalyze how people are reacting to me. Yes. And then that makes me feel egotistical. <laughs> like I'm not really listening to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'm just, do they like me? I hope they like me. <laughs> and those things, they rumble around in my head all the time. Yeah, but they're all doing the same thing probably, you know. I'm not too bad in the moment. It's more the after the fact. Sometimes I'll just like wake up in the middle of the night and think of something I said 10 years ago to some random person that doesn't even remember it. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? But I think it's normal. We all have those feelings. I want to change my answer though too. Okay. I wish I could be a stand-up comedian sometimes. <laughs> They're just so cool, even though it's a hard existence. Nora, you are talking about one fucked up career being a highly successful it's musician. So no, you have to go to like librarian or oceanographer. <laughs> I don't or want to do like, that though. <laughs> <laughs> Your dream job cannot be a stand up. But I hear what it's you're fun. saying though. The idea of being naturally boisterous. Mm -hmm. All right. What is a trait you dislike in others? Mm. When people, you know, someone you're close to or you feel comfortable with, they ask you a question and then they don't really listen to the answer. And then I start rambling and then I can tell that they're not listening and then feel dumb. And it's also something I've done. I find that things I don't like about other people are often qualities that I see in myself. Yeah. Do you think it's because we aren't as interested in other people's experiences? I don't know if there's a shift or not in attention span. I definitely think there's a shift because of all our devices. I mean, I know that I've found myself multitasking more in the last couple of years, thinking, oh, well, it's cool. I'm getting it all done and feeling really good about it. And then realizing, oh, no, this is horrible. I'm just kind of like living halfway through everything and I'm not completely engaged. I'm so with you and it makes me kind of flush because I'm embarrassed because I recognize my own guilt in this. Oh, we all do it though. That's why I recognize it. Nora, I had no idea that I liked to puzzle, which is putting <laughs> little pieces yeah. of cardboard together. It's embarrassing. It's mortifying. Yesterday, I was trying to redo a puzzle about troll dolls that I'd already done. I have a puzzling obsession. I think that's cool. It's embarrassing. Because that's something you can focus on, you know? Nora, you're the only person... I'm supporting your puzzle addiction. I'm just going to say it. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. But getting into the pattern of not being able to focus mm -hmm. because I also at the same time yes. listen to a podcast I'll be making coffee I'll be like doing three things yes and maybe we can comfort ourselves with sort of the blanket of these times yeah do a puzzle man I wish I had a thing like that honestly my thing is music and it really is kind of the only time I can shut my brain off and do one thing because when I'm playing I'm not thinking about dinner or, you know, my task list. I'm just in the moment. These days, I feel like that's the only time I'm completely uncluttered in my brain. You know, I'm glad I have that. What does it mean to release your seventh full-length album during this time? 
it feels like the same, I would imagine, as writing your seventh novel. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. I guess for me, music is not painful or hard to create. And that's why I like it so much. And now certainly there's times where you have to work harder or a song is harder to finish. Sometimes I think the best songs sort of come quickly and you're tapped into some kind of a raw nerve that things are coming through you fast. And certainly all the years of practicing and work is all in there, but it's like a lightning bolt and it's just coming out when you're writing. Or even when you're recording a great take, you know, it's just like something about that take was magical. But the next take of the same song where I got all the words right and I played it better doesn't have the same magic. I like that. It's just that little magical thing that happens, you know. And then sometimes you have a magical song idea, but you can't quite finish it. And then it's painful. <laughs> and it's hard. It's like pulling teeth. But I don't usually spend too much time on stuff because if it's so hard that I just can't finish it, I just don't finish it and I move on to something else. For me, it's fun. So how many unfinished songs do you have in your repertoire? And how many would you actually like to see to a completion? <laughs> this is like clearly a non-musician asking you this. No, it's a great question. And the truth is I don't have that many unfinished songs because I think the way I approach music and the way I finally learned to approach songwriting, which evolved over time, because I used to have a lot of unfinished things. And I used to be like so in my head about songwriting because I came to songwriting pretty late. I mean, I only wrote two of my songs on my first album, which was my big hit. And so after that, I felt very like self-conscious about really diving into songwriting. What I've realized over the years is that you can always finish a song. doesn't mean it's going to be a great song, but you can always finish it. I actually learned that working with Danger Mouse on an album I made in 2011 or 12. And it was such an amazing experience because, you know, we'd have like this really cool idea and this really cool parts and a cool melody, but only like a few lyrics. And I was like, oh my God how are we going to finish this? And he's like, what? We're just going to finish it. It's not a big deal. We'll come back to it next week. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you know what? He was right. <laughs> and that was kind of a big moment for me where it all clicked in. You know, it's not rocket science. I think there have been a few moments in my life where it's like you need the emotional completion, like for oneself, which the audience doesn't necessarily need. And learning to accept that idea, it's like, okay, the third act, it has to be satisfactory, but it doesn't have to heal myself as an actress. Exactly. <laughs> but it might do something life-changing for someone in the audience. I mean, Scary Movie 4 is a great example. <laughs> did change my no. life. I think that's a good point because I think because I can control what I put out, you know, it's not like being in a movie where you don't have any control after you do your part. But um. I always try to finish it. And if by the end of recording it and trying all the avenues that I needed to try, if I just don't like it, I just don't have to do anything with it. Normally I follow up what is a trait you dislike in others with what is a trait you dislike in yourself. But you so eloquently combined <laughs> them. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Can I ask, how did you meet your husband? We met on a gig. Oh, actually, it's kind of funny. Well, I think it's funny. I was singing a couple songs with this Bob Dylan tribute show. So I was just singing. I wasn't playing piano. And he was playing organ. And he was playing the cool part on Just Like a Woman with the organ. It goes, da-da-da-da. And um, I kind of looked back and I guess I winked at him and he's like, oh, cool. She winked at me, you know, we'll hang out, whatever. But then the more he got to know me, he realized I like blink my eyes a lot. I have a little bit of a nervous tick. <laughs> so I think I was just blinking. I just turned my head from the audience to blink. Like, <laughs> so they wouldn't see me. <laughs> probably. That's really sweet. He's like, I'm interpreting this as like extreme flirtation and I love her already. And now no. it's like, what? I'm the chosen one? No, no. But it was kind of funny. <laughs> so then what happened? Well, that was the first time I met him. I don't think I saw him again like till the next tribute show. And then that time we clicked and we hung out all night. And that was it. That's romantic that you like clocked each other and then there was some time. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite rainy day movie? You're going to laugh, but it's just friends and you're in it. Really? Yeah, it's not. It is because of you because you're awesome in it. You, you're hysterical in that movie. You crack me up so much. <laughs> but I also, it makes me like want to move to a small town in New Jersey and be a school teacher and live a simple life. And I love that movie. It makes it look so appealing. And you crack me up in that movie. <laughs> you crack me up. Yeah. I've dreamt of doing a Samantha James. I need to play her again. Really? She was just the fucking best and worst. Yeah. She was so funny. Oh, you should do an album. Nora, this is genius. I will produce it. I'm not sure I'm the right type of musician to produce a Samantha James album. But Come away with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. You're so funny with a toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your eyes back. <laughs> I made my husband and we had two guy friends over for Christmas. They stay over every Christmas and we have like, that's our little Christmas thing. But I made them all watch that movie because none of them had seen it. We were trying to figure out a good movie to watch that the kids could kind of come in and out on. And we all were like hungover and lazy. I was like, you guys gotta watch this movie. You gotta watch it. And they loved it. It was so fun. You're giving me so much joy. I was able to save a few key elements of that wardrobe. Because the wardrobe was just incredible and the character was atrocious. It was amazing. Nora, I might not let this go, though. <laughs> I think that maybe this is the sequel somehow. It's the spinoff. There should definitely be a sequel. Well, it involves you. So you have to agree to this right now, <laughs> live, on air. I'm in. <laughs> I'm always down for fun. That would be incredible <laughs> if Samantha is just totally adoring and demure in, in front of you. She's like, I'm going to do a jazz album. <laughs> <laughs> that would be incredible. Okay, well, hopefully we can start it here. All right, what qualities do you look for in a friend? I don't know if it's a quality, but the ability to just pick up where you left off 
we all have busy lives and I have friends I don't talk to for a year or two sometimes. But then when I do, it's not like any time has passed. We play catch up, but we're still in the same connection level. There's no weird, like you didn't call me because those kinds of people yeah. don't last. We all are too scattered, you know? I know. And as women, we already are living with so much guilt weight. Yes, I'm with you very much. But I struggle with my female friendships in general because I've always been very, like I have one best friend that I'm kind of in love with. As I've gotten older, it's shifted, but it made me feel very alone in life. Mm -hmm. Like there was a secret code to a sorority or something that I didn't understand and I wanted to be a part of and was envious of, but I didn't know how to socialize. (laughs) There was another language that I just didn't know. Hmm. I think it's interesting. I wonder why. I mean, I know growing up, I didn't have a ton of girlfriends. I would always have like one friend. But as an adult, I have a lot of very good girlfriends. Actually, I was thinking about it recently. Yeah. How many wonderful women I'm friends with. I want to be your friend. (laughs) Nora, on what occasion do you lie? Ooh. I read something recently where like, don't ever lie to your kids. I'm like, really? But try not to. I feel like this is a question that like, as I get older, you know, I'm 43. I still have parents. Sometimes I lie to them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But for the most part, I feel like I'm going to get caught by press or something. Oh yeah. Seth Rogen was saying that he lies to press and I don't think I could get away with it. I don't think I'm great at it. And the (laughs) risk of like getting caught feels much more embarrassing than actually telling an uncomfortable truth. Yeah. Lying seems so stressful and not worth it. When he says he lies suppressed, is he just messing with them? Like, because that seems fun. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably it. Because I don't think that he has a lot to hide either. He's a pretty honest yeah. person. Yeah. All right. What is your greatest extravagance? Um, I like taking baths. Nora, that cannot be your greatest extravagance. Although as a mother to two young children, I walk that back. I'm sorry. I love it. I'm not saying it's the fanciest thing I do. I think I'm just saying it's the thing I like to do most. You know, I spend a lot of time in hotels. So I will say I love a good um, hotel hot tub and steam room and stuff. But that's just being, you know, on tour. (laughs) That's just like... I think too, though, those moments of aloneness, especially with young kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, I used to dry my thin hair for like an hour and a half. Truly. I was just like, I'm drying my hair. Yeah. Can't come in. (laughs) Gotta dry my hair. Still drying it. (laughs) It is interesting, that whole being alone thing with kids. I used to be, I don't know if I was afraid of being alone. I was just not completely comfortable being alone. So I would always call a friend, you know, that's such a way to not be alone. You're always kind of, but now that I have kids, it's like, oh yeah, I used to be afraid of this this is my jam now. I just want to be alone. I know. Just somebody sort of not needing you for something. Yeah. But then there's the feeling of like, oh, where are they? I just need to snuggle with them or whatever. Yeah. Before the pandemic, you know, I I had plans to tour this year. and I went on a tour in South America in um, December for two weeks without them, which was a big deal. But I... I enjoyed the hell out of taking baths that entire tour, you know? (laughs) But now 
I can't imagine actually doing that, even if the world was back to normal. Did that decision to go on tour, did you feel excitement and thrill? Oh, yeah. And then the female guilt? Exactly. Yeah. Well, it was like being on a vacation. Even the flight felt like a vacation. Yeah. A flight without children? Are you kidding me? Oh, movies. I watched like 10 movies. I slept. I drank one. I ate. Yeah. But yes. And then you feel guilty. And then you feel guilty for not feeling more guilty. How do we inherit this? It's just what it is. But you know what I mean? Like, I Mm -hmm. fucking don't believe that men have the same... Yeah. Anyway. They probably just don't overthink it quite like we do, you know? Yeah. But by the end, I was definitely missing, you know, real life. But the first week I was on vacation, I drank a lot. It was fun. (laughs) not going to lie. I love that. I want to go on tour with you. Oh, my God. You could open up. Or I could open up for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. To whom would you most like to apologize and why? Hmm. I mean, I would like to apologize to anyone I've ever been rude or short to. Anyone I've like truly been rude to though in my life, I feel like I've apologized. But I think that sometimes when you're just having interactions with people, I know for me, like I'm way less off the cuff than I used to be. And I try so hard to be polite to everyone. But, you know, my early 20s, I don't know. I got hangry a lot and I, I probably wasn't always sweet to everyone. Oh, the <laughs> you know, but like, I don't think I was ever malicious, but anyone I've ever been rude to while I was hangry, which includes probably brunch waiters. Brunch is the worst. I feel like everyone at brunch is waiting for it to be over or waiting to go back and take a nap. <laughs> it's just such a weird cultural phenomenon. <laughs> Let's all get hangry and wait in line and pay a lot. <laughs> All right, Samantha James is going to have like an aggro song called Brunch. <laughs> brunch. Brunch. Make me angry. Brunch. <laughs> Fuck your Benedict. That's pretty good. Thanks, Nora. This is just our first time collaborating. <laughs> All right. So what skill are you still trying to master? I really want to play the violin. For some reason, I want to play like country fiddle so bad. And I started taking lessons when I was pregnant seven years ago, but I haven't really touched it since. But I do have a little bit of a fiddle fantasy. Tell me a little bit about a musical inclination with that. I just like the way it sounds. Yeah. My mom bought me a piano for my ninth birthday as a big extravagant gift, something that I did not want. I had never expressed an interest (laughs) in playing piano. And when it was being hauled up the stairs in our modest house in Edmonds, Washington, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to express a lot of joy at nine years old to be getting a piano. That's a lot of pressure for a gift. Oh, it was. (laughs) I was like, oh, yay. So then I took lessons, truly, I think for seven years, and I didn't absorb anything. I did everything I could to avoid it musical inclination. It did not feel innate within me, although my parents are big musical lovers. Both of them are so thrilled that I'm talking with you right now. (laughs) Anyway, that's just my musical ability, so you get an idea of where I'm coming from when I ask you questions about music. (laughs) I mean, I still want to get better on piano, too. I mean, and I'm a piano player, and I feel good about how I play the piano, but I think, you know, the thing about any art form is you never want to stop trying to get better at it. That's sort of the trick to staying inspired, I think. When I read a script, I love the puzzle of unlocking. 
the dialogue that's been given, which feels incredibly difficult. It does feel like, how do you make this sound like a natural thing that's coming out of your mouth? And I wonder if you do a cover, if there's a similar feeling. Yes. And I come at cover songs from, you know, I'm not somebody who's always written my own music and then every once in a while does a cover. I'm someone who started out doing covers and now I'm much more comfortable doing my own material. And I think the reason is because the words felt natural coming out of my mouth. Like I really mean it. But I do think that the trick with doing a cover is basically that you have to own it. There's a lot of covers that I've tried over the years that there's just like maybe one or two lines that just I just can't make sound right coming out of my mouth. And I'll just kind of like flare them a little bit more, <laughs> you know, sometimes to make it work. Or I just will give up and I won't do that song. What do you think has been the most challenging cover? I will say covering certain artists is always easier than others, but covering someone like Joni Mitchell, that's hard because she's so specific with the way she phrases things and her lyrics are so deep and personal, but also wordy. And the phrasing's totally from another planet because she's from another planet musically in the best possible way. It's just hard to cover her songs, but I've done it and I found my way with a couple of them and felt okay about it. So wait, along those lines though, what vocalists do you admire? Like if you could name three. Three. Only three. I'm giving you a limit. Well, like Aretha Franklin and, um, oh my God, I only have three. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Aretha, Ray Charles, <laughs> Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton. I can't just do three. Well, it's interesting though, the musicians that you mentioned, their vocalizations do tend to lend themselves to interpretation. I mean, Dolly, you know, she has this high lilting, mm -hmm. like very strong, but at times incredibly wavering Yeah, when she goes into her higher oh, registers. So beautiful. And you're almost worried, like, will she come back from it? Aching. Yes, yeah. And Joni Mitchell is soulful, but still incredibly delicate. Well, especially the early stuff. It's very high and intense at times, you know. How would you, well, I wanted to ask you a question, but I don't even know how to articulate it. Like, how would you describe your own voice, I guess? I actually have never been asked to describe my own voice. I'll describe what I want it to be because I can't really be objective about it. But talking about Joni Mitchell, you know, she's one of my favorites and I used to listen to Blue and I was obsessed with it and Court and Spark. And then I got into this album she made in the 90s called Turbulent Indigo. And her voice had dropped like three octaves. She sounded like an old jazz singer. I mean, she always has loved jazz and had that sort of thing in her, her musicality, but her voice always had that high kind of like folksy thing back in the 70s, right? But in the 90s, I mean, she sounded like a completely different person. And I loved equally both versions of her voice. But I remember thinking when I was young, like, oh my God, I can't wait till I get older and I get that like low smoky thing going, you know? So that's like what I wish I sounded like. Yeah. I think I've got a little bit of that, but not quite as much as I, as I want yet. I'm sure you've been asked is, but thinking about the first time you heard a particular voice or even a particular pop song, like what was the album when you were nine? I was really into Aretha and I was especially into that song, Ain't No Way. It's so good. I mean, the band is so good. She's so good. The harmony singing is so amazing. And then I'm pretty sure it was Whitney Houston's mom, Sissy Houston, did that part in the background that goes, ooh, she goes like up high and it sounds like opera or something. I was just like, I used to get chills listening to that. 
I also really loved, loved Cindy Lauper. Me too. Time after time. All right. So Samantha James, and we're going to do time after time. Yeah. We'll do it. I bet you could get Cindy in there. All right. So if you could start a band or collaborate with anyone living or dead, who would it be? Probably Bob Marley. (laughs) Just because that would be so fun. (laughs) The first time I heard Bob Marley, I thought that was the closest I felt to religion. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I was 10 and it felt just like peaceful joy and community connection. It was like whatever music does to us, sometimes we listen to it. And like also Sinead O'Connor for me was a big thing. Mm. I started listening to Sinead. I guess when her big stuff came out, I was probably 13 or something, but that felt so raw and private. Yeah, you're right. It did. So you would go with Bob Marley. Yeah, I would sing in his backup section. I mean, I do have a band I'm in where it's three of us women, and I mean, our thing is singing harmonies with each other, and it's so fun. So I would basically be in the harmony section and be happy if I could be anywhere near that music. Or I would sing harmony with Johnny Cash, you know? I don't even need a line to myself. I would just sing harmonies with them. It would be so fun. Yeah. Do you have a greatest regret? I don't have any big real regrets. But sometimes I regret not making decisions sooner. Decisions I know I'm going to make. And then you waffle or you waver. I think I usually know in my gut. But as I get older, I feel like I waffle way more. I don't know why. Even just agreeing to do stuff, you know, I just, I think about it for a week instead of just saying, no, I don't want to do that. I know I don't want to do it. Or I know I do want to do it. I really respect that answer because I think we all feel it. The idea of being decisive, I tend to want to sit on something for a beat and like kind of suss it out. Yeah. And the idea of being decisive is scary because how are we to know what the outcome will be? Yeah, exactly. I've been in some relationships where I've been like in hindsight, like, oh, I made that decision to leave that person probably five years before I actually Oh, for sure. I think the breakup thing, I always tell young people, like, just break up. Don't think about it too much. If you want to break up, break up. (laughs) But I never did that. You know, it was always a long, drawn out, over and thought. Everybody's in pain. You know, it sucks for everybody. All right. When or where are you happiest? In the ocean. You love the ocean. I love the ocean. Okay. I did. I think I want to be where I was a whale in a past life. I love the ocean. Cold? Yeah, I'm fine with it cold. I mean, I can deal. I'm not like afraid of a cold body of water like some people, but I prefer a hot bath after for sure. But um, (laughs) yeah, I do love the ocean. Do you think it's because you love looking at it or being in it or both? I never thought. I would love looking at it so much, but recently I was at this beach and we were on this deck looking at whales jumping out for like hours and I loved looking at it, but that was a more recent thing. Usually I just love being in it. Could you sail across the ocean? I don't know if I'm into boats that much. So wait, if you had to travel by either boat or train for let's say a week, would you prefer train? I think I would prefer a train unless by boat, you mean, you know, I'm not going to barf and (laughs) I get to swim every morning and every afternoon and every night. Sure. I don't know. (laughs) 
Part of my comfort with this whole like quarantine thing is not just puzzling. I've so reverted to the second grader within me that I like watching train videos. I love watching like these basic things that are comforting me in this odd time. That makes a lot of sense. Train videos, like just videos of trains going around the world. Yeah, I like to watch like a high class train trip where somebody's like, oh, and they're serving us. Like, oh, yeah. Here's this like pot de creme and check, check, you just hear like, like Channel 13 style. Yeah, totally. PBS. I love yeah. that stuff. Travel shows, cooking shows, cooking travel shows, preferably. I think everybody's comforted by that basic stuff right now. For me, it's the water, yes, but also fire. We made a lot of fires in the spring. It was still kind of cold here. And I would just sit there and it just felt so good. So all the basic stuff. Just like staring at the crackling fire. So I'm so with you on that. You reminded me of childhood. Okay, Nora, to cap this off with, I think is the most difficult question, especially for someone to answer themselves. In one word, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, God. For some reason, fun pops into my mind. I haven't gotten that one. I love that one. I think I know why. I think historically, I've always had a lot of fun with my friends. And maybe it's not the persona I portray on stage. But like, I think after having kids, I felt less fun. Can you relate to that? Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) So... And I was talking to a friend about that. I was like, I just feel like so boring and so not fun and like not really myself completely anymore. And he was just like, oh, dude, it, it's because you had kids. Everybody I know goes through this. You'll be fine in a couple of years. And I was like, okay. That's a great friend. He has no kids, by the way. Because... He had the wisdom to say that because I went through the same thing where it's like, I, I'm not laughing as much. I find myself, I'm just not. Yeah. And it didn't occur to me for like four years. You're just tired. <laughs> it's like, I used to be really fun. So I guess I would like to reclaim that on my tombstone someday. Well, I know how to do it, Nora. How? We're going to make a movie. We should make it. We're going to make Just Friends too. Jones and James. Yeah. Oh my God. Please make Just Friends too. Even if I can't come near it and you don't allow me on set. Oh, Nora. No, no, no. My plan is for Samantha James to just be all over you in the creepiest of ways. <laughs> That's amazing. I would definitely do that. Like she's definitely like she is crushing on you so hard. So funny. <laughs> she does not want to be just friends. <laughs> I love it. I Are you sure? It. I'm down. Uh, down I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Nora, I cannot thank you enough for doing this with us. You too. Thanks and for having me. congratulations on your album. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, I'd like to introduce you to April Beyer, who is a dating expert, coach, matchmaker, and the creator of Level, which is a game-changing online dating and introduction service. You can find more information about April and our other experts at unqualified.com. Hi, April. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So I am on a boat. You're on a boat right now? Yeah. We bought a small boat at the beginning of this. Oh, my God. Up in Washington State. Hence, I don't know when I've showered. I'm wearing Michael's clothes. Anyway, the whole thing could not be more chaotic. 
But I feel so fortunate. Love it. How are you, April? <laughs> I'm really good. I'm really good. I, I was just telling somebody the other day that I've had like, like a lot of people, I've just had these like extreme highs and lows. And I've just never been busier as I have over the last six months. It's been ridiculous, but more of coaching than even matchmaking, even though everybody's looking for love right now. It just seems like all of my coaching clients have come out of the woodwork. So usually by Friday, I'm ready for a cocktail. <laughs> Do you find it hard to not be in person or does it make intimacy almost easier? I don't know if there's a difference. I mean, my business has been virtual for a really long time, so I haven't stopped or skipped a beat. I think for everybody else, the panic is, you know, what do we do? You know, the common answer is just get on a Zoom or a FaceTime, but that only lasts so long because people don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to connect, you know, in this way. They don't know how to create chemistry and emotion. It's like, it's hard for most people. So a lot of people are bailing out and then kind of coming in and dipping their toe in and then heading back out again. It's been a like a trial for everybody in the single community. Like, all I can say is, thank God I'm married right now. <laughs> God, completely. And you have Michael. I know. And he's right here and he speaks so highly of you. Oh my gosh. He's one of my favorite people. I feel really lucky too. It's like this time for so much intimacy. It's wonderful to have somebody in my life that matches that really well. I'm so happy for both of you. Isn't it funny how our relationships are like, they're either showing the cracks right now or they're showing all the goodness in our partnerships. I think it's a rewarding time. I kind of do too. And I feel very guilty talking about what this time has kind of given me because I know it has hurt so many people. Yeah. And so I feel guilty talking about that. But from a very individual perspective, it's been a really nice, intense time in a way that kind of has fed me a bit in a weird way. Yeah, I know. I, I get that, right? You almost don't want to talk about it. It's like survivor's guilt. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I love at least the examination of our priorities. Living in Los Angeles where, you know, we're consuming everything all the time. I, I felt a tremendous amount of relief, as you can probably tell from, <laughs> from the image that you have. The sleeping bag behind me. No makeup. Uh, yeah. So, April, I am really glad that you are on these calls today because when we get these questions about people who are looking for love and um, and especially in the online world, I have very, very limited dating experience. I, I married uh, three people. <laughs> well, getting married. Getting married. <laughs> to, to the third and the last. <laughs> but, the um, last. Yay. <laughs> but I, I haven't been out in the world. Yeah. So when people write in about these questions, I don't have like practical advice. I love to talk with people about their feelings that I can relate to of like loneliness or isolation or desire for a relationship. But practically speaking, I have no idea what to tell them to do. Okay. So I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Okay. Should we call Ginny? Hello? Hi, Ginny. Hi. Hi, it's Anna. Hi, Anna. And you're here with April Beyer. She is a relationship expert. April, would you mind introducing yourself in your official way? Sure. Well, hi, Ginny. I am a 20-year veteran in the personal matchmaking space. I started out working with successful, eligible men, and I'm also a dating and relationship coach. And I recently founded a new company, which is a hybrid of 
dating tech and personal matchmaking. Yeah. So I've been involved in a lot of relationships and created hundreds of marriages and families. So honestly, at this point, there isn't a story I have not heard. Ginny, I think she's way more qualified than I am. (laughs) Ginny, will you tell us what's going on? All right. So a little bit about my situation. I grew up in Michigan. And after I graduated from college in 2015, I followed my parents and moved out to California. And back in Michigan, I had like a handful of best friends and I had a good boyfriend, all of which just fizzled out after the big move. But once I moved out here, though, I was surprised by how difficult it was to go out and make lasting friendships basically from scratch, especially as an introvert who would rather socialize online than in person. And I've made a few friends since I've made it out to California. I had a boyfriend. I went out on multiple first dates using various dating apps, but it always ended up with one of us becoming uninterested in the other. And the only difference is whenever I lost interest, I never went as far as ghosting them, which happens to me so often that I'm just afraid to start online dating again, knowing that that's unfortunately part of the culture now. And plus, I've noticed that the ghosting always happens like when he finds out that I'm not as sexually experienced as he'd hoped, which is something that's always haunted me as an adult because of how it's affecting my romantic life today. So... I guess my question is, knowing that I'm fully capable of having these meaningful relationships with friends and potential partners, how can I avoid getting ghosted again and at the same time rebuild those solid foundations that I once had back in Michigan with a potential best friend or boyfriend in California today? Hey, Ginny. Yeah. When you speak about not having as much sexual experience, will you elaborate a little bit on that? Um, I mean, I grew up in a very conservative Christian family. So it's been emphasized to like be absent until you get married and all that. Yeah. But as far as my own personal experience, I mean, I fooled around with my boyfriend because he was, you know, the love of my life at the time. But nowadays it's like, since it's going to be my first time with the next person, I have to like trust them. Right. Of course. Gosh. Yeah, of course. Okay, April, go. Tell her how she can find love. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jenny. Well, first, thanks so much for just being real and candid about this. I kind of want to start because what I'm hearing is it sounds like you've got three or four things that are a big concern. But in my opinion, it's one thing. So let's just talk about what's at the heart of everything. But before we get to that, let's talk about ghosting. Mm -hmm. Ghosting has become this very popular term. But what we've seen is ghosting is actually not personal. So when you have the right attitude and mindset, because dating requires an upfront attitude mindset shift Mm -hmm. and a building of your foundation. That means your foundation of your confidence. So if you don't have those three things set, you can kind of get blown in the wind and we don't want that. So let's talk about the ghosting aspect. You're not really being ghosted. It's more of overwhelm. So you can imagine the way the apps are designed and set up, they're designed to kind of keep you in it, right? The tech is designed to keep you swiping. And when you have that many messages kind of backlogged, think about your email inbox, right? It's a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. So you might be feeling neglected or left out of something or ghosted when what's really happening is somebody's just overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of guys looking at their apps and I've said, why not her? Why don't you call her? She looks great. She looks amazing. I I don't know enough. And they literally toss their hands in the air and they want to walk away. So can we start there, Jenny, and just start reframing how you talk about the being ghosted? Because 
when you say I've been ghosted, it almost puts you in a powerless position. Uh, well, in my experience, when I've been ghosted, like I'd be talking to someone and we get into like our interests and all that. And then eventually in the conversation, they find like something that turns them off and then they just like delete my number and then, I don't know, block me, I guess. Right. Right. But that's part of the overwhelm. Mm -hmm. All dating apps are is like, imagine you're walking in the door to a bar or restaurant and somebody looks up. That's it. That's all that that is. And so with so much deal flow, if you will, it's easy for people just to cut and run, even if it's mid conversation or even if they've had a date with you, because there's a thousand profiles waiting in their inbox when they walk away from that date or that call. Mm -hmm. So what's happened is people have become pickier than they have become more selective. And that is the fault of the dating apps. Yeah. And April, that's such an interesting way to phrase it. Will you elaborate a little bit on that? Pickier than they've yeah. become selective? Is that how you phrased it? Right. Well, think about anything. Like if you were handed one present from someone special, you would open that present carefully. You would look at it. You would hold it to your heart. You would thank <laughs> that person over and over for the gift. But if somebody handed you 20, right? I don't have children, but Anna, I know you're a mom. You know, if you handed your kid 30 gifts in one sitting, they tend to not appreciate each one. It's just, it's too much, right? Oh, April. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the only tool that I have on a road trip. (laughs) Did I just touch a nerve? (laughs) I'm sorry. You're completely right. And I love your analogy. Yeah. So picky is somebody that is looking for a way out right? Mm-hmm. When you're meeting guys, Jenny, that are picky and they're finding fault in you, it's because they don't have the right attitude and mindset to start out there dating. They're not that ready. So they're looking for every little tiny thing to not be successful. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of hard to process, yeah. but it's true. Selective is different than picky because selective means, hey, I'm selective about somebody's values, the way they live their life, right? Mm-hmm. If our morals are in alignment, if our lifestyle goals are in alignment, that's mm-hmm. being selective. Picky is, I don't like the way they laugh. You know, I don't like the color of his hair. I don't like the way she does this. And if somebody's not giving you time to get to know you, it's not a reflection of you, but rather their own stage of readiness. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, you're an introvert. And introverts have a harder time once you're kind of past that messaging, because then you have to really show up. And then double of that is... What are we doing now? We're doing all these Zoom and FaceTime dates. And even as we're here now, you know, it's a little extra energy to kind of be on a Zoom and into a camera than it is if you're just messaging or talking on the phone. Right. So I get that. But the biggest thing about an introvert is you have to remember who you are. And so remembering why you're confident, why you're an amazing woman, you're educated, you know, I I can't see you, but I'm sure you're attractive (laughs) and you've got a lot of things going for you, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to remember that, but also know that the older you get, the harder it is for people to understand that you're an introvert or that you're shy. Right. Because it doesn't read. Nobody can tell. So you might look not interested or not invested. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Because recently I decided to pursue acting. So I've been taking one-on-one classes and all that. And a lot of times... Good for you, Jenny. (laughs) Thank you, Anna. Um, no, I mean it because people will be like, how do I get into acting? And they'd never want to hear things like yeah, take classes. Take classes, yeah. Like a lot of times when you're on like a first day or you're just talking to someone new, you're 
constantly on all the time to show your best self and to impress the other person to make sure that they'll stay. (laughs) Yeah, that's the wrong attitude. Mm -hmm. So when you're dating, you can't have your critic on your shoulder, right? She's not invited. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing about people who are shy and introverted. You turn it on yourself and you're literally watching yourself as you're with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So then there's literally three people on that date. You have to get the focus off of you Here's like a little trick I tell people. Pretend like you're the hostess of the restaurant or the the woman hosting the party. And it's your job to make sure everybody who comes into your space, it's your job to make them feel really comfortable and welcome. Like, can I get you some food? Can I get you some water? You know, are you warm enough? Hi, welcome. You've got to turn that energy toward the other person. Because guess what, Jenny? Guys are sitting there and they're doing that self-eval too. They're sitting there thinking, am I cute enough? Do I have enough money in the bank? Like, is my hair okay? You know, am I funny enough? Am I smart enough? Everybody's sitting there having conversations with themselves, thinking that they have to perform or that you have to be your best self. You don't have to be your best self to be dating. You have to be your most authentic self. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That is tough. Though, April, I mean, the few dates I've been out on, I don't even remember their personalities at all. I just remember wanting to make sure that they liked me, that they fell in love with me. But for (laughs) what purpose? I don't know. So, April, in terms of reframing Ginny's mindset, do you think that reframing it will, like, help with the practical solutions as well? And does this also apply to friendships? Because I think that Jenny wants also friendships. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. So I had said attitude, mindset, and foundation. The foundation is you have to build your life out. You've got to build those core friendships here. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say this too, Jenny. A lot of people feel that kind of cliff after college. I think you're attaching the loneliness and isolation to California mm-hmm. and longing for the days back home where you actually had like a built-in kind of connection with people. Yeah. It's not California, LA. You know, there's a saying, everywhere you go, there you are. There's just a difference because now you're post-college. So our connections change. They're not built in like they were when we were in high school and college. Everything comes from scratch. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of it, right? You're not relying on past history to create something new. Mm -hmm. So that mindset is, hey, I'm just going to stop worrying that I don't have a built-in foundation and connection with these people, and I'm going to fall in love with curiosity. Like, I'm just going to get really damn curious about people. I love that. And that way, when you're curious about somebody else and you're not trying to perform, you have so much more fun because dating is just relating. And if you have the intention of, I'm going out with this person or talking to this guy because I just want to connect with people, not I'm looking for this goal. Like get your eye off the target of the end, right? Of the end goal and just enjoy the journey because my philosophy is date and suffer less, right? I mean, dating is fraught with all kinds of just horrible things that happen (laughs) and it's frustrating and you want to like just throw your hands in the air, but you can absolutely suffer less with these things. And it first starts with, you know, you have this attachment to your lack of sexual experience to having like a little bit of shame I'm hearing in your voice. And you're still young. And I'm dealing with a client that has your exact same story right now. You have to write down today, like, why am I confident? Like, what are the things I am really, really good at? Like, if I woke you up in the middle of the night and I said, okay, Ginny, what makes you you? What are you great at? 
write those things down. And then next to that, it's what do I bring to the table? Like if somebody were dating me, don't talk about your deficits. I call it romantic value. What do I bring to the table in a relationship? And you should know that, Jenny, about yourself. And it can be super basic because who we were as like little kids is who we still are now. We're just older and a little bit wiser, but I think our core is the same. So that means your, I call it your overall confidence remains no matter what. Like it doesn't matter if somebody ghosts you or you go out with somebody and it disappears on you or you have a heartbreak. That core confidence, it's like a baseline, always remains. That does not change. It doesn't change in a pandemic. It doesn't change with relationships. It is you. And then finally, it's embracing this, I have waited. I have training from parents. You know, I grew up in a conservative Christian family, and I have a story about this. So that authenticity we were talking about earlier is the same thing. Like, be bold enough to share that with guys. You don't have to share it like on that first text or call. But when you're talking to them long before sex is ever in the picture, tell your story that you told us today. And make sure you love the story. Because I think, Anna, you might agree with this. If you love the story you tell, it always lands well, right? Oh, completely. And I also think that Jenny's story is great. I do too. And it's honest. And you're right, April, about understanding your story. So then you can weed out people who don't understand their story as well. Yeah, because when you provide a safe space for somebody to share, when you're vulnerable and open and real and authentic, then you see other people doing it. And it's a really good kind of litmus test because if you're putting your heart on the table and it's sitting there beating in front of you and somebody's not picking up the ball, like let them go. Mm -hmm. They're not on your level. It's okay. They don't have the sensitivity because to me, it feels like you have a lot of sensitivity and a big heart. And, you know, Unfortunately, people that are sensitive and have a big heart get it stomped on a lot. So it's about building that inner core confidence and understanding and embracing your story and sharing it freely because it's kind of like that same story when people go, why are you still single? Everybody immediately goes into fight or flight with that question because they don't know the story and they don't like it, right? So I like the story of, hey, you know, I grew up in this family and you know, sometimes I feel like when I meet guys and I don't have the same sexual experience that they do, I might get declined and it bothers me. Like, start doing that. You can't break dating. <laughs> when I was building out my company, somebody said, you can't break tech. And I was afraid to make a mistake, Ginny. I was afraid to live like, oh my gosh, if I build this, what if it's wrong? What if the customers don't want it? There's too much pressure. Like, you cannot break this side of your life. But I think it's definitely time for a reboot. And just framing your lens a little bit differently and embracing what is and loving what is new. Because first of all, everybody, even people that are from California and have the built-in connections, I want you to know that everybody I talk to, and I talk to a lot of people every week, everybody is feeling fragmented. Everybody is feeling the isolation, even if their best friends are close by. It's weird. So for the first time in our history, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what age you are, what your economic status is. Our situations are different, but our emotions are very much similar right now. Yeah. Jenny, tell us more. What are you thinking? I also had a question about like having a potential best friend as well. Yeah. Because like it's very lonely when you're the only person from your upbringing. Yeah out in a new city. Oh, Jenny, I'm that kind of person that was, I don't know if 
the heavenly creatures reference will <laughs> resonate with you. <laughs> if not, that's fine because it's creepy. But I hear you when you miss your best friends. And I imagine you're also seeing what they're all doing back in Michigan and how that must sting a little bit. I love April's emphasis on focusing on how to deal with exactly these things right now as opposed to reminiscing. But I so feel you on like missing a really strong female friend or friend in general. And I think that to me, the world with social media at times feels increasingly more lonely. I don't think that we communicate as well over text. Mm -hmm. When we're not speaking to each other, it's hard to understand inflection and emotion. April, do you have suggestions for finding friends as well? You know, I think finding friends and finding lovers and partners, it requires the same toolkit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change, believe it or not. I think a lot of people separate these and they put them into different boxes. Oh, I have my friends. I have my work friends. I have my lovers. I have my partners. You know, when I said dating is relating, if you can have kind of like this open mind of, hey, I'm not out there dating, because that sounds scary, right? Mm -hmm. It sounds like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there. Like that word out there just makes me feel freaked out too, (laughs) just saying it. (laughs) So, you know, it's, I'm going to just be in it. I'm going to meet new people. I'm going to connect with people. You might actually, through your dating apps, you actually might meet some friends because if you find value in connection as opposed to only chemistry and romance, Mm -hmm. then some of these guys you're talking to might become friends who then know someone, who then know someone. Next thing you know, you're being invited to like a Zoom hangout and suddenly there's a girl there. But with women, especially at this age, you actually have to make the invite. Mm -hmm. And part of that vulnerability I'm asking you to do is required here. And it literally means saying to somebody that you kind of connected with, hey, you know, before the pandemic, we were, you know, working together or whatnot. And you always seemed really interesting to me. I'm looking for a great gal pal here. I'm really missing my friends in Michigan and I would love to spend more time with you. Can we, you know, FaceTime or go for a walk on the beach or something? Like make the invitation You know, earlier on in my career, a lot of the women that were working with me wanted to be my friend and I pushed everybody away. And then I realized, wait a minute, like we have a built-in something there. But there were some women that really had to kind of like bang down my wall, so to speak, to get to me to say, hey, you know, you're cool. I'm cool. Let's be friends. So I think you just need to put out some more effort in Mm -hmm. that way. You know, Bumble is, I don't know if they've started it. Have you seen their friend app yet? Yeah, I think I've tried it. But I didn't get any takers. (laughs) Okay. Why do you think? I think it's just because I only tried it one night and then it was just a loss. So I just deleted it. Okay. You gave up too soon. Damn, April. (laughs) You gave up too soon. One night, you know, my gosh, if I wanted to have a flat stomach, could I do one sit up and expect to have a flat stomach? (laughs) You know, come on, Jenny. I think... You know, (laughs) what I'm hearing is when you say things like, I didn't get any takers or these things are happening to me, you're putting yourself in this position of being a victim. And I don't think that's who you are. I think right now it's about empowering yourself and saying, I'm going to put out there, I'm going to look back at my friend profile and I'm going to look back at my dating app profile. And I'm going to look at that and say, like, am I being real? Am I really putting myself out there? in a real way. Because 
you cannot look at this stuff as rejection. And with everybody right now being really freaked out and overly adrenalized, it's so important that we're being super value-add to people. And that means extra kind, extra compassionate, bigger invitations. It's almost like you're cutting through like white noise. Mm -hmm. So what worked, you know, eight, nine, 10 months ago, it doesn't work right now. Mm -hmm. So that means you have to step up into that and you can't try things one day. You know, most people are on dating apps for like a year, two years. And if they're going to stay on those for that amount of time without getting completely drained, (laughs) they have to kind of use them as a side dish as opposed to the entire meal, which it's like, I'm going to check this a couple times a week. If everything you're doing is just online, it's going to be harder because you're going to feel like all of your hopes and dreams are pinned on that. So are there any women that you've gotten to know out here that have felt like maybe you had a slight connection, but it didn't build into a friendship? Is there anybody that you can reach back out to now? A couple of them, but uh, by now they've moved far away. Okay. Can I make a recommendation for you? Sure. Okay. Those gals that moved, Mm -hmm. can you get on the line with them today? Because, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of, I don't know about Anna, but I'm not seeing a lot of people right now either. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even really matter that somebody is out of town. Mm -hmm. Because I think what you need is the practice of building relationships. So reach back out to those two people today and just say, hey, I was thinking about you. We didn't get to really develop a friendship because you moved away. And I'm just really in the need of some great you know, connection with other like-minded women. Mm -hmm. And then when you put that out there, I promise you, you will get something so beautiful right back. Start there because then you're going to kind of get in the rhythm. Don't worry if they're here or elsewhere. Just get in the rhythm of making a date with those people. Like do it like, hey, can we do like Wednesday, you know, meetup, Mm -hmm. Sunday morning tea. I remember one time I was in college, I had been kind of rejected by a sorority that sounds more dramatic than it was. I certainly did not belong in a sorority, which is why I lived in the dorms. At least that's how I self-identified. So that was stinging my feelings for a minute. Mm-hmm. And this girl came up to me in my creative writing class. She basically said, I really liked the piece that you wrote. I want to be your friend. And she was a quiet girl like I was in this class. It was a small class. And then we stayed friends for four or five years after I moved to Los Angeles. But I remember I was in a very lonely time in my life. And I remember being so honored by her and feeling very safe in her directive. Like, I like you. You seem interesting and odd. (laughs) But that felt like a little bit of a lesson to me. Like, I was so impressed by her courage Mm -hmm. to come up to me and start engaging with me. I know that we're obviously now in different times, but I really appreciated that. Mm -hmm. But Jenny, I only use that anecdote to talk about myself. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I agree. And it's so hard. You know, my husband is an introvert as well. And, you know, I look at our group of friends and they're mostly mine, you know, that I introduced to our life. You know, I actually have a lot of shyness in me. Nobody knows that. But I worked through it. I really made it like my business because I didn't want people to think differently of me. I didn't want people to think that I wasn't kind or that I wasn't warm. It was like a muscle. I had to consistently work that. But just like you were saying, Anna, having somebody come up and say, I want to know you, 
was because you probably wrote something that was revealing and and it was cool. It said something about you. So it sparked interest in her. It doesn't matter if it's friends or lovers. That same thing exists. The only difference is we're either having sex with our partners or we're just hanging out with our friends. But the warmth and the love and the companionship, it's always, I think, the same. And I've noticed that whenever I'm kind of out there in the world being real, I get you know more bees with honey, right? So I think Anna's right on that, Jenny. If I were you, like, I wish we could look at her profile right now, Anna. <laughs> I remember, like, trying to experiment, like, okay, maybe I'm just blind to myself to just be, like, truthful about my sexual experience. Because, you know, let's face it, that's what all guys are out there for. And then I noticed that when I said, okay, hey, I'm a virgin, I got less likes that way. Okay. So yeah, there's a difference on your online dating profile. You want to be personable. Mm-hmm without being personal, right? Because it's too scary. You can't just open up the door and let everybody into the house. Like you have to guard Mm -hmm. yourself more with that. I'm talking about sharing your personality traits. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people on their dating apps, they do the I am, I am, I am. I suggest talking about him. Like you speak directly into his listening. So you're writing like maybe like a couple of traits about yourself. Like, hey, I'm, you know, I come from Michigan and I had this kind of a background and I'm now out here after college, blah, 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 looking for great connections. And then immediately go to him and describe him. Like you're somebody I want to know because you are. And then list three traits that you want in somebody. You're not talking about what he does or what he looks like. You're just saying, because you're compassionate and you're kind and you're curious. Like, I want to know you, right? April, I love what you say about curiosity because I do think we all want to talk about ourselves (laughs) and we all want people to know us. And so when you speak about the broad spectrum of curiosity, what did you say? Personable, but not personal. Yes. That is something I would have a really hard time with. (laughs) (laughs) I also want to make sure that, you know, when you have been holding out sexually for a while— You make it this really big thing Mm -hmm. and you put a lot of pressure. I heard it in your voice earlier when you said, like, I need to trust somebody in advance, Mm -hmm. you know, before I go there. Trust isn't in that person because people will make mistakes and you cannot control the behaviors of others. But you can definitely really like sit with yourself and go, do I trust me? Like, do I trust my own instincts when I'm in this person's world? Mm -hmm. So when I met my husband, things kind of progressed quickly on the physical plane. I kind of broke all of my own rules quickly. And it wasn't because he did or said anything to gain my trust. It's because I learned how to trust my own gut. Like, ooh, this is a safe guy. This is a good guy. I could tell, Mm -hmm. right? So make sure you're not putting too much pressure on yourself or some new guy that you're just getting to know because you're waiting for him to really show up big in order to go there physically. Because mm-hmm. you might be thinking that these guys are leaving because you don't have sexual experience. They could be leaving because, A, maybe they are looking for one thing. And you know what? They exist. But there's plenty of guys that exist out there that are looking for a relationship. We hear from them every day. It could also be that he doesn't know how to handle it. Or that maybe he's feeling the pressure of being something for you. It's like a big mountain, right? Mm-hmm. You want it to be easy to get to know you and fluid. And then when you feel trust, yeah, great. Decide if you're going to go there sexually. But don't make that his responsibility. Just get to know these people. (laughs) Yeah. 
April, you are wise. Because <laughs> I'm old, Anna. <laughs> I'm old, but I'm not that wise. <laughs> I think earlier, April, you said that sometimes you would find friends through the dating apps. Mm-hmm. That actually happened to me because I met my best friend when I was back in Michigan. This was a guy I met on OKCupid of all places. And so obviously, since we were on a dating app, we had these expectations that'd be something more. But then, like, we just kept talking to each other and we just became best friends ever since, even if I moved all the way out to California. So as long as we maintain that online friendship, like, it's always going to be there. So it's like, if that was simple, why is it so hard to do it in person, like out here, you know? So it was easier for whatever reason. It was just a really great connection. And good connections are kind of sometimes hard to find. It's where people go in. It's like if you're on a diving board, right, and you don't know what you're doing, you don't want to do your triple dismount or whatever they call it in the high dive, you're going to do a complete belly flop in the water. So it's really the onset before these guys or you get on these apps. It's like, what is the purpose? What is the intention? If the intention is, hmm, you know, shoot for the moon, you might land on a star. Like I might be looking for the love of my life, but I might end up meeting a really cool friend. If that intention is there, more people will be open to it. I do want to caution you, most guys, if they're attracted to you, they don't know how to kind of immediately downshift into, hey, be my buddy, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're losing people in that way, please don't worry about that because Mm -hmm. it's just their own intention. It has nothing to do with you. One of the biggest things setting up dates for 20 years, one of my biggest frustrations is I only put people together that have really good core components of compatibility Mm -hmm. I actually don't care if people get married or have sex or find love. What I care about is the connection. And I'm always kind of bummed when I come into my office on a Monday morning and I get, yeah, you know, awesome person. There should be more people like her in the world. You know, we don't have that sexual chemistry next. It's like, oh, what? You know, are you kidding? There's so much value in knowing this person. What if she has a best friend that could be good for you? Or what if you guys end up being business partners or friends or whatever? So I look at the massive opportunity that's in front of you. And using the dating apps as just not necessarily saying you're looking for friends. It's just about it's going to naturally happen if you take your eye off the target. And don't Mm -hmm. worry what these people do. You know, clean up your own yard. Do not worry about the reactions of these guys. Stick to the plan. Know why you're confident. Write it down. Understand what you bring to the table. Understand that you're not being rejected, right? It's just overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And just start fresh here. Embrace the unknown and all of these new connections you're about to make because I see amazing things for you. Wow. Jenny, I do too. I see amazing things for me as well with April, my life. (laughs) But but Jenny, did we help you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I got like so much out of this, like a lot more than like just going out and trying new things, experiencing and just failing. (laughs) This will be great help. That makes me really relieved and really happy, truly. Yeah, Jenny, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 April, I cannot thank you enough for being here with us today. You are just magnificent and brilliant and truly so helpful to myself and to our listeners. Thank you again. I appreciate that. Thank you, Anna. It's been amazing to be here. 